what kind of Christ follower do I want to be? Do I want to be the kind of Christ follower that pulls Jesus out like my AAA card whenever there's a crisis and I'm in need of him, then I call out to him? Or do I want to be the kind of Christ follower who passionately, wholeheartedly follows him with everything that I want? And so we've been talking about these different kingdom principles that of what it would look like to be that kind of Christ follower. So it would be somebody who's generous, somebody who has a heart of gratitude, somebody who's in prayer. And I believe last week it was talking about somebody who's in community with other believers. Well, today I am going to add one more to the list, and that would be the kingdom principle of being a worshiper of God. And here's going to be my main point that I want you guys to all walk away with, no matter what. If this is the only thing you guys get, this is what it would be. It would be, I want to worship with God with all of who I am because all of who he is. So before we actually begin, I'm going to do a little exercise. And I promise you it won't be that weird, maybe a little weird, maybe a little uncomfortable, but I like to embrace the awkward, so we're going to do it together. <laughs> um, what I'm going to have you do is we're going to sing, or not, actually, you guys are not going to sing anything. Michael is going to sing a song, and what I want you guys to do, I want you to quiet your thoughts, I want you to close your eyes. And even if you know the song and it's your favorite song and you always just find yourself belting it out because that's what I do, um, don't. Just sit quietly and listen to the words that are being sung and just reflect on that. And then after Michael sings his song, Jack is going to read a portion of scripture and with that same attitude, eyes still closed, just listen to the word being read. So with that... After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around that throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Father God, we want to come here and we want to worship you. Oh God, you are holy. And we just want to um, lift up your name today. Glorify you in everything that we do. I pray, Father God, that um, the message that you would have for all of us, Lord God, would sink deep into our hearts as we just talk about what it is to worship you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Honestly, I don't know how to start after something like that. I almost feel like I could just drop the mic and leave. Um, Because I, just hearing those words, and when they sink into your heart, and you realize with just a whisper of anything that God says, everything can change. And so this idea of preaching to you about worshiping him, I'm actually really excited to do. Mm. There's so much to this idea of worship. And as I began to study it, I realized I really don't know very much at all. And a lot of ideas that I had about worship totally got shifted And I could probably preach on worship for 10 weeks, and I'm not kidding. But today, I can't preach for 10 weeks. I've only been given, I think, like 20 minutes to get this across. And so I thought we should just focus on what it looks like to worship on a Sunday morning here at Branches. And... uh and just to remember that this is the, I'm going to keep bringing this statement around. So this is what you guys leave with. That worship requires all of me because of all of who he is. Our whole lives should be worship. What we do in private, what we spend our time on, um, where we spend our money can all be forms of worship. But like I said, I'm only going to be focusing on corporate worship on a Sunday morning. So, I kind of thought, you know, a lot of times we do things as a church and we don't really think about it, but what exactly is worship? Is it this coming together and singing songs or any of that? You know, there's, if you think about it, the Christian lingo is kind of weird too. 
Like there's things that we say that people on the outside wouldn't even comprehend what we're talking about. Like, I am so blessed or have you been washed in the blood, sister? I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard that. Um, but there's things that we say, or I've been delivered or redeemed and, and somebody just walking in off the streets wouldn't understand that. So why do we come here each week and sing a bunch of songs and then read from a book? I mean, we don't normally do that as people. It's kind of strange. Well, maybe some of your families do. Actually, I probably know a few families that probably they get together on the holidays and somebody breaks out on the piano, somebody's pulling out their, uh, what's that, uh, harmonica, then the trombone comes out and you're all singing four-part harmony. I'm not going to call you strange. But normally, like, you don't come together, especially with a bunch of people you really don't know and start singing and then talking about a book. In fact, I can remember there's a family that comes here and they had not grown up in church. And all they knew were the messages that they heard online. So they knew when they would come to branches, they were going to hear Tom speak. And they had no idea about the singing part. And when I found out that that was their experience, I asked um, the wife, like, well, what did you think of that? And she said, honestly, that, that was the best part. So, <laughs> but it's just different, you know. But why do we do it? Why do we sing songs to God and call it worship? Now, before I get into what worship is, I want to talk about what worship is not. Um, I think we have an amazing amount of talent here. And I think our musicians are awesome. I may be somewhat biased, but I think they're pretty awesome, yeah. Um, but even if all of our worship people were tone deaf and Tom on the drums could not keep a beat to save his life, we should still be able to come into this place with the same amount of enthusiasm and worship God. This is what worship is not. Worship is not the people on the platform perform. The congregation is the audience. And God helps the performers to entertain or please the congregation. Worship is not about my experience The real question should not be, how did this make me feel? But it should be, how did it honor God? Don't ask, did I like worship? But ask, did he like worship? We all have different tastes in music. We all like our music at a different volume. It is going to be impossible to please everybody here. Somebody is going to have to sacrifice their preferences for the preferences of others. It's kind of sad because worship and music can be one of the most controversial topics in churches. It can cause people to walk away from the group just because they didn't like the sound of the songs being sung. Worship should always be about he rather than me. And when we get our focus off the, op- off the object of what worship really is, then it's not really worship. It's kind of like this. I heard this story this week, and it was this guy, he was talking about an experience when he was in the seventh grade. Their state required a state writing test to pass, and they, the writing prompt was this. 
it was, um, I'm on the wrong page. The writing prompt was this. Pretend that you're on a journey with your friends, and on the journey, you come across a valuable and unusual object. Describe the object. Well, a few weeks later, the teacher comes in, and she's got the stack of papers that she had been grading, and she sets them on her desk, and she says, in all my years of teaching, this has never happened. You have all failed the test. And she went on to say, you guys wrote great essays. They were very descriptive. You were describing the journey of what it was like and your friends, and I was actually really entertained. But that was not the writing prompt. The writing prompt was not to describe the journey. The writing prompt was to describe the object. And I believe that's a lot like how we are with our worship. We come in here and we're seeking to be comforted or to be entertained or to feel something that's amazing and have our needs met. And we say comments like this, like, wow, that worship was awesome. Or, yeah, I really wasn't feeling it this week. Or, dude, I wish they'd play a little more bass. Or, it's too loud. It's too quiet. But we're missing the object. The object is to worship God, not the performance, not the quality, not the sound, not the lighting, not the setting, or any of that. It's fine to have all of these as part of our worship, but that is not the point. We're missing the point of worship, like the kids with the writing prompt, describing the journey rather than describing the object. We don't want to come in here on a Sunday morning and have our meads net. We want to come and worship God. Now that um, you know what worship is not, it's not where we are entertained and where we enjoy a service, but it's when we focus our God and worship him. We're going to talk more about what worship is. Worship is God is the audience, the congregation performs, And those on the platform help the congregation to worship God. Worship requires all of me because all of who he is. The word worship in Hebrew means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to lie flat on the ground. In fact, in the Old Testament, that's what would have been worship. A lot of times you you see, you know, Abraham, he goes up onto the mountain to make this sacrifice. And it was Isaac, but he goes on and he says, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord and worship him. It wasn't, I'm going to sacrifice and sing and dance songs to God. He was going to to submit himself to the Lord. And in the Greek word of worship, it means to kiss the hand of, to fall on the knees, or to prostrate oneself, which is similar to that in the Old Testament. There's also Greek renderings of the word, which means paying homage to render religious honor. And the word in the Old English means worthiness or worth-ship, to give worth or value to something. I came across this definition of what worship is, and I really like it. It goes like this. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages the whole being. It engages my mind, will, and emotion. Once again, worship requires all of me because all of who he is. The best way I can think to describe this is to imagine there's this woman. And she has inherited a brooch from her mom, who got it from her mom, who got it from her mom, who got it from her mom, and so on and so forth, until actually nobody knows exactly where this brooch has come from. Nobody knows the, uh, the worth that it has, and half the time nobody even knows where the brooch is. 
Well, one day this woman is cleaning house and she stumbles across the brooch and she's looking at it and she decides, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a praise and see, see exactly what I have. Kind of like, you know, maybe taking it to antique row shows or something and just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. So she goes down to her local jeweler and hands it to him and, and he's looking at this brooch and he pops his little magnifying eyepiece on and he's just noticing the different things, the way that the metal's formed and, and maybe there's jewels in the brooch and, and picking up the, you know, looking real close to see how the light is picked up and how it's, um, fragmented. I don't know a lot about jewelry, but these are words I've heard. Um, and he's looking and he's examining it and, and all of a sudden he goes, oh, and then he might turn it over and he's looking at the backside and, and he goes and he looks in a book and then looks back at it. Oh my, oh my. And then he takes a moment and he's thinking and he looks back at it and all of a sudden his eye thing pops out as he begins to realize that what he is holding in his hand is this lost, unique piece of jewelry that the craftsmanship is unheard of. It's been hundreds of years since somebody's been able to make something like this. And the reason that he's experiencing, how should I say, all his mind, all his will and emotions is because he realizes how valuable this thing is that he's holding in his hand. This piece of jewelry is more than all the jewelry that has been in his store that has ever been in his store for the last 30 years. And when the woman comes to understand the true value of what it is that she has, she too is thunderstruck. As she begins to realize that she's not been living in accordance with the value of what she has. And because she didn't realize the true value of what she had, she was not living at all in the way that she ought to have been. Now her entire life has changed now that she sees the value. And I think that that illustration, more than any other that I can think of, is what worship is. You see, most people in America, according to the polls, would say that they believe in God or that they have God. And they might pray to him a few times a year when the need arises, much like having that AAA card when your tire gets a flat and you call them out to help you out. But they have God in the way that that woman had the brooch, completely unaffected and unaware of the value of him. The difference you see between casual religion and just doing what I need to to get by and a transformed, passionate, thankful, wholehearted, shot through the heart with joy is worship. It's seeing the value of who he is and living in accordance with it. It's not just having an emotional experience. It's not just getting a little pick-me-up to help me out. It's not just being a part of a community, but it's ascribing value in such a way that it changes and electrifies your life. That is what worship is. Worship requires all of me because of all of who he is. Requires my mind, my will, and my emotions. So now, now that we've talked about what worship's not and what worship is, how do we then worship? 
Well, I have to say, it depends on what church you go to, where, how you would answer this. So when I first got saved, I was a senior in high school, and I didn't know too much about God. We had the, the sort of like casual, very casual. Um, we went a few times in my life to church. So when I got saved, I ended up at this church. It was a small church. And basically, anything was okay. There, and it was a small room, but we still had a lady with a flag. There was singing and dancing. People were belting out other tongues, supposedly. And I can remember this one lady. She had this like gnarled stick and it always sat under her seat and it had these keys all attached to it all up and down. And I think that whenever there was a song that just needed a little something extra, she'd whip out those keys and she'd just like, bring, bring. Like it was supposed to be angel's wings or something. And so that was kind of the worship experience that I experienced. And I kind of formed this idea that praise was like the happy energetic songs and worship were like the more like devoted, more intimate songs to Jesus. And I, without even being taught that, that's what I began to believe. Where my husband, on the other hand, he grew up in what he would call the frozen chosen. And... um you could only wear pants. Uh, girls had to wear dresses. And I'm not, not bashing that. This is just his worship experience. And he would say we would sing songs, you know, from a hymnal. And the, the pastor, the worship guy would call out a number. And even to this day, if you, if you were to give Tom a number like 204, he could tell you what a hymnal that was on page 204. So anyway, but they would sing songs like, you know, I lift the hands, I lift my hands to the Lord. But nobody better dare raise their hands because that's just unheard of. And so our worship experiences are really different, as I imagine everybody in this room is. And so here at Branches, though, we believe worship however you feel. If it's with your hands lifted up, if you want to dance, if you want to do flags in the back... That's what my husband's rules are. I say, bring him out front, just start dancing. Um, or you can be really biblical and just lie prostrated on the ground in reverence to God. I am not that biblical, so I'll, I probably won't do that. But you guys feel the freedom. But here's the thing. This is a corporate worship. So we always have to be thinking about, it's not about me. It's about him. And so is this is this drawing attention to me or am I just drawing attention to him. And so I would say, have the freedom, but also recognize who you're sitting by. But I want to take a look at actually the word of God, because you can see worship sprinkled out through all the Old and New Testament. And where you see, get really good pictures of what worship would be like, it would be in Psalms. So we're just going to look at Psalms 98, and we're going to look at one through three. And it says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So there's our singing part. We're singing to God. But then it goes on to say, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. So If you were to look at that statement of things that God has done, it starts with our mind. Just like the jeweler thinking and assessing the brooch, here the psalmist is recalling the things that God has done. 
In fact, if somebody were to ask you why it is that you worship God, you should be able to give an answer. Like here, it says, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. He has made known salvation. He has revealed the righteousness in the sight of the nations. And it goes on. See how he is recognizing the worth and the value of God. He's using his mind to recall and assess. But worship also takes our will. We have a choice on whether we want to worship or not. Many times it requires going through this like mental gymnastics in your mind. I don't know if you guys have ever struggled with that. Maybe you're much better than myself. But it can be a real battle. Uh, it start, you start to worship God and like five minutes into the song or maybe five seconds, you're thinking about your Aunt Margaret and how the dog across the street kind of looks like her. Um, and she kind of smells like stale meat. But she makes really good pies. Really good pies. And she, oh, oh my gosh. I wish I could have Aunt Margaret's pie right now. And then all of a sudden, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm worshiping. How did my mind get here? Sorry, God. Uh, thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. All right, holy are you, God. I, anybody ever experienced that where all of a sudden you are miles away from whatever the words coming out of your mouth are saying? Or you come in here and you just don't feel like worshiping. It's been a hard week. You're fighting with your neighbor, spouse, dog, cat, fish. You might be losing your job. The world feels like it is crashing on around you. And the last thing that you want to do is sing a new song to God, let alone sing a new song to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Or what about this one? Everything is distracting. Little Johnny's picking his nose, and who knows where he's been stashing those things every week. Or maybe the person singing next to you, like myself, is making a joyful noise to God, but it's not a pretty one. Well, this one's actually very easy. Try to sit someplace that is less distracting. Like, there's a reason I like to sit up in the front because the music's so loud. I don't have to hear myself, and I can just sing for everything I'm worth. Plus, I like to watch people, and if I was in the back, I'd be all watching all you guys. And anyway, so, or I'll just close my eyes to just not be distracted. So those are some easy things that you can do for that. Because when you come in here and you're choosing to worship God, you want to make him your primary focus. And sometimes this takes a lot of time of just like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to get my mind back on track again, and I'm going to think about you. And a lot of times I will tell myself, you know, God, it says that you are everywhere, which means you are in this very room. And there are angels that we can't see all around. And they are telling you, you are holy and magnificent. And although I can't feel it, I don't see it. I am going to worship you because you are here. There's a song that says, I don't want to worship you like you're not in the room. And I remember hearing that go, that's, that's how we should be worshiping because he is right here. And I don't know about you, if, if you were to be translated up into heaven like John when, um, when uh, Jack read in Revelation's floor and were to see all of that, I think we'd be doing all of what Abraham and all the people in the Old Testament did. We would be laying prostrate at his feet. So sometimes I just have to 
recess in my mind, tell him all the great things he has done, and then I choose to worship him with my will, and I'll tell you after that, the emotions just follow. There's something powerful about that. But we want to worship God with our emotions because it's like any relationship. God came and he had Jesus' son die on the cross for us just to restore that relationship. And in relationships, there's emotions, there's feelings, right? God created those emotions and feelings. And who wants to be in a relationship, um, even a friendship, where it's like I've made a commitment to you and I'm sticking with it because you are my spouse or you are my friend. Um, but I really don't. I mean, you're not that great. It's just a commitment I made. I could have made it to anybody. You know, who wants to be in that? So we want to worship with our emotions too. Like here, okay, so if you go to Psalms 98, 4 through 6, it goes on. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpet and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Can you see here the the psalmist is using celebration kind of a language. There's joy, there's music, there's dancing. It's kind of like a party. I had the privilege of um, being able to go to a few messianic services with a friend of mine and that was like nothing I had ever experienced. There were horns being played. And then all of a sudden, you know, at a wedding where somebody starts this dance and then somebody grabs on and there's this chain like a dragon in the Chinese New Year's all through the aisles. That's what they were doing. And everybody was grabbing on and it was just like everything. And then all of a sudden they all break out into these circles, men on this side, women on this side, and they've got their arms around each other and they're just having a great time. And that's what I think worship can be like. It's a time of celebration and joy. So we've talked about what worship is not. We've talked about what worship is. We've talked about how we worship. But the most important reason is why do we worship? We worship because we were made to worship. As a human race, whether you're a Christian or not, we worship and we're really good at it. Now, you may not see us um, bowing before some golden image or shrine, at least not in this country. In other countries, yeah, sure. But you're not going to see us doing that. You're not going to see us praying for just favor from the gods and the goddesses and hoping that our harvest comes in. Worship just doesn't look like that here in the United States. More of what worship looks like is I am giving and sacrificing everything I have for something. To be that CEO in my career, I have given everything and I'm striving towards that goal and that is what I want. Or I, I grew up with this bad family experience and so now I am gonna have the best family ever and it's all gonna be about my wife and my children and everything else comes separate. And, and, or there's sports like, like sports are it. Whatever it needs to take to get my child through sports. Um, it doesn't matter if I, I miss a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever. I want my child to do what I, basically what I didn't do or what felt finished to do. Or there's all these. You can worship anything. You can worship a rock. You, you can worship an, a, a substance. You can worship, you can worship church. You can worship the worship team. 
So we were made to worship. But at the end of the day, we were made to worship God. And if you're not sure of what it is that you worship, all you have to do is look at how do I spend most of my time? Um, What do I think about the most? Where do my resources and things go to? Now, I know, I know all of you guys were like saying, oh, Jesus, 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 all of them. So I'm probably not preaching to you guys. It's probably everybody else in Indiana. So, but you get the idea. And in fact, you can even worship your past experience. Like if you've been really hurt and wounded and all you can think about is what's been done to you and you obsess over it, you can even worship that. So now that we've talked about, you know, that we are made to worship, what's another reason? It gets our minds off of ourselves and centered on God. There's something to be said that when we can get out of our own heads and start thinking about something else, that things just make more sense. A lot of times we can get so wrapped up in our own mind that we can't see the forest through the trees. When we're able, though, to look up at God, everything begins to become clearer. And you will find that there is this peace which you can't explain. When I'm living in a way where I'm just consumed with God, where I've got the music on that just leads me in a place to being grateful with God, when I am listing all the good things that he has done, and I'm telling myself that I'm going to worship him, Things can happen around me that are happening to everybody. Like there's a big layoff in in my company and I maybe get axed, but I handle it in such a different way because I have this peace that's unexplainable. In fact, you can see this in the news quite a bit where there's some major disaster comes in and wipes out a town and people have lost their homes to fire or flood. And the interviewer on the news is asking, hey, how are things going? What are you going to do? And there's some people and they just respond, you know what? It's okay. I, you know, I'm fine, you know, this is all stuff anyways, and I'm going to go on. And, and they have this, this hope in them. And then you can talk to another neighbor, and everything has been lost, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you guys ever witnessed that? So that's my kind of point. Like, when you get your mind off of yourself and centered on God, it just transforms everything. But also, worship, it's powerful, Another reason that we worship, when we are centered on worshiping God, singing praises to him, lifting him high, and recalling what he has done, it's really hard to stay in a funk or to be depressed or angry. It's like that analogy, I think it's James says, salt and pure water can't mix. I believe that's the same. When you're worshiping God, it's really hard to do those things. And then you begin to see God for who he really is, how great and how mighty he is. And as you begin to realize that and that you are his daughter or his son and he has called you and you begin to change your identity to what that is, that is powerful. The enemy begins to lose foothold in your life and all his schemes and things come crashing down. And when that happens, you can then begin to love people like they should be loved. And that's powerful. And that transforms everything around you. 
And can you imagine if all of his here at Branches were able to worship in that way? Or all of us here in Warsaw that call ourselves Christians were able to take hold of that and to lift God up and to walk in the identity of who he made us to be When we worship with all of who we are because all of who he is, the atmosphere changes and lives are changed and transformed. And that is really powerful. There's one more reason why we are to worship God. And I didn't actually put this in the slides because it was an afterthought and it shouldn't have been. It should have been the very first one. And it is, we worship God because he loves us. There's a song that I heard a few Christmas, Christmases ago. I think I was sitting in the car and I can remember the whole family went inside and I didn't want to. And they were all Christmas shopping or something. And I was sitting out there and this song pops on the radio. And it was one of those times where God just kind of speaks real clear to you. And it changes everything. It changes the way you think about things. And the lyrics went something like this. They said, how many kings have stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers have given their sons for me? Nobody has ever loved me like that. Nobody will ever love me like that. Nobody ever could love me like that. And when I heard those songs, that song, and it just, those lyrics sunk into my heart. And I realized the king of kings stepped down for me. He gave up everything so that I could be in relationship with him. And if that doesn't make you want to worship, I I don't know what would. And like the song that Michael sang in the beginning, if All of creation is worshiping. If the mountains are crying out his name, if the rocks would sing out his glory, then so will I. I worship with all of me because all of who he is. Now, right now, the worship team is going to come up. And I hope that we can take... What I've just explained, if you already knew it, great. If you didn't, I hope that I was able to present it in a way that you would understand what worship is. It's not us getting something. It's not us, you know, having this experience, which that is great. That is what happens a lot of times in worship. But it's about us giving God glory. It's about how does he feel when we, when we with our whole hearts, just surrender to him and, and cry out to him. And so with that, I I invite you guys to stand as the worship team takes over.